like to make the crunch time plays. Now your host, Bennett Gainey. Crunch, crunch, crunch time plays. This is Pat Smith from Three Man Front, and you're listening to Crunch Time Plays. Hey there, it's Brooks Austin with Sports Illustrated's Dogs Daily. You're listening to Crunch Time Plays. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Tara Talmadge with the Pig Trail Nation, and you are watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays. Hey, it's Jim Dunaway from the next round, and when it comes down to the final ticks on the clock, always look for Crunch Time Plays. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into Crunch Time Plays today. Whether you're watching us on YouTube, listening to us down on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, thanks so much. Got a really exciting episode today. Michael W. Bratton from S- That SEC Podcast, doing that show full-time now. He's going to hop in in just a moment, talk about some SEC football, get some Crunch Time players for the season, just dive into the SEC. And first, got to give a shout-out to our brand-new partner, prizepicks.com, number one daily fantasy app out there they've got college football futures out right now definitely want to take advantage for those we're going to be giving our crunch time plays for prize picks yardages throughout the season whether you want nfl nba major league baseball they've got it all over there daily fantasy at prizepicks.com we're really going to be diving hard into college football so i hope you'll check us out there and if you use the code crunch time plays they're on prizepicks.com you get a free 100% match up to $100. So definitely take advantage of that. Prizepicks.com. Use the code Crunch Time Plays and let's make the Crunch Time Plays together this season. But really excited to welcome in SEC Mike Bratton. Mike, what's up, brother? Hey, thanks for having me, dude. And uh, man, what an intro there. After seeing uh, all the people you've had on, I don't know if I belong on this show, man. Are, are you sure you got the right guy? <laughs> I'm absolutely positive, <laughs> Mike. We got, we, we got the right guy because. Cause you're, you know, you're one of the best is what you do. And I just kind of wanted to ask you to start off with just to kind of take us, you know, through your journey. The audience may not know uh, about your story working there at, at Saturday down South. I know you've done a lot of other work as well, but, but you kind of put that aside and then just focusing on that SEC podcast full time. So, so before we dive into to any of the football uh, meat and potatoes, just wanted to get your, your, uh, your story and, and what's it like and you now focusing on the show full time. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate you uh, mentioning that. And uh, so I graduated from Tennessee uh, in 2009, and then I moved out to uh, Los Angeles. I wanted to get into TV and film and trying to be a writer. And I ended up working for uh, post-production audio is what it's called when shows and films are, uh, before they come out, you know, they do, they rework the audio and stuff like that. And uh, somehow I don't, I couldn't even tell you how I did it, but I landed a job with Fox Sports, and then I parlayed that into a job at NFL.com, and then I parlayed that into Saturday Down South, and I was with them the last couple of years, and um, you know, just going into, this would have been my fifth season with them, but you know, nothing uh, against those guys, great guys, love the site, uh, you know, I, I owe them a lot for, uh, you know, just kind of helping me along the SEC journey here, but I really think that, uh, you know, kind of going out and doing your own thing and not answering to anybody and, uh, you know, they would at times kind of halt the progress of my own show, which is the highest rated SEC show on the Apple podcast app. So I just like to mention that uh, over two million impressions on YouTube just the last month alone. So, I mean, it, the thing's growing really well. 
And sometimes you just get to a place where, you know, again, it's nothing personal. I, I wish Saturday down South the best, but was it best for me to stay there and do the same job I was doing since day one? Or was it better for me to, to try to explore new things? And I just think that's, you know, you look around, uh, you know, not a political statement at all, but guys like Clay Tra Travis, uh, Pat McAfee, uh, another guy that I really love is Chris Long. I mean, what do these people have in common? They're, they're using their own brand and building their own show. And I really respect those guys for going out and doing that and being their own boss. And that's what I'm trying to do. So I got a website, thatsecpodcast.com. Uh, that's the same Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. And then, of course, I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. So, hey, I'm not trying to be a, a big J journalist type guy. I'm just I, I drink on the show. I curse on the show. I don't curse nonstop or anything, but I just have fun with it. And I host it with uh, my cousin and then our other cousin. You know, the three of us own the thing. So it's a it's a family affair. And, uh, you know, I, I think the best is yet to come for uh, my show. Hey, there, there's no doubt about that, and it definitely feels uh, so good to be able to 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 build the brand. It's like just like both of us are trying to do, and you're certainly doing an incredible job, brother. And anyway, if you hadn't checked out that SEC podcast, please do go go crack open a cold one with uh with <laughs> with Mike and, and cousin Shane. I know they'll be happy to have you over there. Yeah, without a doubt, we opened the show with uh, opening a beer. So um, <laughs> we're just a bunch of good old boys watching football, and I mean that's how we. We grew up, so we're just taking that to a new medium and just having a good time. Hey, there's there's no doubt about that. So I wanted to start off kind of the meat and the potatoes, talking about Tennessee. You know, you mentioned it in your background. You graduated from Tennessee, and and Josh Heupel coming in. Brian Maurer has been kind of a topic in mm -hmm. fall camp so far. Not probably not kind of on on the outside looking in of the quarterback situation there with with Hooker, Milton, and Bailey kind of what are you what are you hearing on, on Brian Maurer right now I know he's probably probably going to be heading out uh, of the program just haven't haven't been involved in the practices the last few days so is it probably just a matter of being on the outside looking in with him yeah absolutely so Josh Heupel just uh, recently said he met with him and kind of explained to him how the reps were going to go and then Brian Maurer pieces out so I mean you it's pretty obvious uh, Brian Maurer was you know going to get reduced reps here in practice as Tennessee's trying to figure out who's going to be their first starting quarterback under Josh Heupel. And Brian Maurer is, uh, was not happy with uh, the conversation that he had with Josh Heupel. And, you know, that's not to be unexpected. I think a lot of people assume Brian Maurer was the fourth man in this quarterback race, but there was a little hope. Uh, you know, we've seen Brian Maurer on the field a couple of seasons. I, I believe he would have been a redshirt junior this year. And he's flashed a little bit. But he's been very inconsistent. He's he's dealt with concussions. Uh, but the thing with with him, uh, Josh Heupel initially tried to recruit him down to uh, UCF. So you knew he was a fit for the system. So you know he would have been a dark horse for sure to win that job. But you know in the back of your mind you said, well maybe maybe he fits it better than anybody else. But uh, considering the fact they added Joe Milton after spring ball, it kind of gives you a good indication that Josh Heupel was not thrilled with the quarterbacks he had on his roster there. And, and naturally, I mean, even a three man race, someone say is too much. You, you just can't split the reps, uh, you know, between four guys. I don't know how they're going to be. They need to, to really whittle it down to two is what they need to do. And I would anticipate they're going to have to have that done. They just had their first scrimmage. They're going to have to have it down to two by the time they go into uh, the second scrimmage of training camp. 
That's definitely true. And you know, what we were talking about uh, before we started, you know, the transfer portal era, not, not everybody's satisfied with, with waiting their turn uh, anymore. And certainly if you're not getting the reps, then the opportunity occurs for you to, to be able to go somewhere else. But obviously that leaves the, the question of, of the starting quarterback uh, at Tennessee. You mentioned they had Joe Milton uh, during the summer months coming in from the transfer portal. Uh, they're from Michigan. You know, kind of going into the first scrimmage, it was kind of, I think it was kind of my understanding that the Hendon Hooker and, and Joe Milton may be kind of the the top two going in with with Harrison Bailey kind of riding on the coattails a little bit there. Is what it, what's going to be the key going down into the rest of fall camp for for those couple guys, and who ultimately do you think is going to be end up being the starter game one, or or could we see you know multiple guys in the in the first couple games, and it'd just be something under a new staff that kind of fills out as we move through the first part of the season? Yeah, I think it'll be Hendon Hooker. I've kind of said that all along, and uh, people been upset with me for even suggesting that since they added Joe Milton, because obviously. Like I said, in the spring, probably weren't too thrilled with Hendon Hooker, but he's made a lot of progress over the offseason. And, uh, you know, Joe Milton is a guy, I don't know how many of your listeners have watched him play or seen him in, in a practice, but, I mean, this guy, he looks like a Greek god. I mean, he's like Cam Newton-esque size. He's got a huge arm. He looks like he could be, you know, a Heisman contender. And this was the same thing they were saying at Michigan last year. They were all hyped about it. This was going to be a, the breakout era or breakout season of the Jim Harbaugh era with Joe Milton, former Elite 11 quarterback. And there was a game or two. He looked fantastic. And then the rest of the time, I mean, he looked about as bad as Jarrett Garantano. So I just don't know you can roll out uh, someone like that that's throwing pick sixes that is very inaccurate. He's got the huge arm, though. And I think people also get enamored with uh, guys that just have huge arms that could push the ball down the field 70 yards. But if uh, if you're throwing it 70 yards down the field and it's 10 yards over someone's head, that's not doing you any good. So uh, I've watched every snap Hendon Hooker took at Virginia Tech. I thought he was very very good. Uh, he's not a guy. He's not a. He's not going to be an All SEC type player. He's more of a kind of a steady guy, an accurate guy. He can move around with his legs. But if he can, you know, he's not the ideal fit for the Josh Heupel system. He can't push the ball down the field quite like Heupel likes. But he's got the underneath stuff. And I think if you're Tennessee, you go with a guy that's the most experienced. Hendon Hooker started his career 6-0 and as a starting quarterback, including uh, a comeback win in his first ever game on the road against Manny Diaz, Miami team, who we know you know that they have a defensive background. So in your, if you're doing that in your first game, uh, I think it, that speaks to just what a gamer Hendon Hooker is. And – uh, I think Tennessee's got some pieces where if they have competent quarterback play, their offense is going to be pretty dangerous this year. Yeah, that's, that's definitely true. I, you know, just looking at it during the summer, I was, you know, when Hendon Hooker first announced that he was going to be transferring to to Tennessee, I just kind of thought to myself, "Well, man, I'd be pretty excited about uh, Hendon Hooker if I if I'm Tennessee, just because of the the great career that he's had uh, so far at Virginia Tech, and I definitely know that he's going to continue." that at Tennessee and you mentioned the the kind of the weapons around him obviously you t lose your top two running backs from last year to the transfer portal uh, Eric Gray you lose him to Oklahoma Ty Chandler you lose him to North Carolina but but Javari you got Jabari Small there now Tyon Evans who's from uh who's from Hartsville South Carolina my hometown so very oh, wow. familiar with with what Tyon and what he's doing played a lot of positions uh, at Hartsville High School played a lot of a 
played a lot of positions uh, in community college as well. But who are – and Cedric Tillman, uh, wide receiver, is a guy that's gotten some buzz so far uh, in camp. So who are who are a couple of the other guys on the offensive side of the ball uh, outside of those that, that can really pop for, for Tennessee that people maybe not be talking about right now? Well, that running back combo you mentioned there with uh, Jabari Small and Tyon Evans, I like that. But then they also got this other guy that uh, everyone's buzzing about in camp, D. Beckwith. He came in as a kind of a jumbo athlete, tight end type, but he's they've moved him to running back. And he's basically the same size as Derrick Henry. That's what everybody says. Now, I'm not saying he's Derrick Henry. I mean, there's only one of those guys. I don't know if we'll ever see another Derrick Henry who – uh, was a monster there for Alabama, and he's been that way ever since for the Tennessee Titans. But he's got that stature, and with Josh Heupel's offense, uh, you know they're going to run, hurry up. They're going to, they're just going to push the when they get a big play, they're just going to run right to the line of scrimmage. They don't take any time off the play clock and snap that ball. So imagine, in my mind, the scenario is anytime D Beck was on the field, look for the ball to go down the field because what's going to happen is Tennessee is going to want to push that ball, and then as soon as they get a big play run down the field, and hand it to this Derrick Henry lookalike. I mean, the de- the defense already going to be on their toes. How are you going to stop a guy like that? So I think he could be really tough in the red zone especially. And then you want to talk about some of the receivers. Valus Jones Jr. was a transfer they got last year that, uh, you know, there was a lot of anticipation with him. And not until the last couple of games of the season did he really start to flash. But those last couple of games were against Florida, which was very good, and Texas A&M. So if he can stand out against those two defenses, I think he can uh, do some damage here in the SEC. They've got uh, Jalen Hyatt, who was a true freshman last year, scored against Alabama. Uh, you know, he he is the perfect fit for Josh Heupel. He's one of the fastest players on the team. Uh, I think that one-two combo gives him a lot of uh, advantages there. They got they call him the two Jimmys, Jimmy Calloway, Jimmy Holiday, uh, Holiday. Well, both of them, really, they were quarterbacks in high school, so they had to transition to the receiver position. I believe this will be their second year in college football. So, uh, you know, still some growth to go there, but I really like both those guys. Uh, So, like I said, Tennessee's got a lot to work with, and Glenn Ellerby, the offensive line coach, came out the other day, said he's got nine or ten guys he feels comfortable starting with. So I don't think offensive line is going to be a problem either. Uh, And and like I said, I I think Tennessee, I've been saying this all offseason, they're going to look a lot like Ole Miss did last year, which is a very, very potent offense and potentially a terrible, terrible defense. <laughs> well, that was actually going to be my actually going to be my next question, kind of comparing uh, Tennessee this year to to Ole Miss last year with very high octane, up tempo type offense. Do you do you get the sense at all that maybe Josh Heupel? I know he he loves to go, you know, thirty miles an hour over the speed limit a lot of times, but. But do you get the sense that maybe he might try? I know you obviously don't want to dial it down too much because you want your offense to put up the kind of numbers that they want to. But do you get the sense at all that that Josh Heupel may kind of go a little bit more, the speed limit play a little bit more complimentary football, that way the defense isn't on the field as much? No, I mean, there's logic to what you're saying, but no, because you got to play to your strengths. And Tennessee is just doesn't – again, they I think their, their first – you know, 40 guys on the roster, they can compete with just about anybody. Now, again, 
clearly not Alabama, Georgia. I mean, teams like that have far and away better talent than Tennessee, but they have far better talent than just about anybody. So that's not saying much. But if you're if you're Josh Heupel and you don't play your system the the way it's designed to play, the way it's uh, to maximize hurting defenses, I just don't think he can play that way. So I think what you got to do if you're Tennessee is to you know you you just have to play incredibly aggressive on that defensive side of the ball. You got to try to force turnovers. Uh, you make a big play or you get burned because you're probably going to get burned anyway. So uh, you might as well, uh, you know, make that extra effort on defense to to sack the quarterback, strip sack him. You know, get you know every every time someone rushes the ball, they should be trying to strip it because <laughs> they're going to need to get that ball back to that offense. And I think that's going to be the game plan for the Vols this year. That's, that's definitely true. Definitely in this this high uh, octane offensive era that we're living in, definitely turnovers is definitely a key stat that, that everybody's going to be looking at, as well as uh, getting off the field on third down and, and forcing field goals in the red zone rather than touchdowns. And kind of moving on from Tennessee, I did want to ask you about about a team that that obviously has a a huge audience base that we have on this show, and that's South Carolina and Shane Beamer. He's mm-hmm. obviously had a lot of success during during this offseason, more so than a lot of people uh, outside of the program and even some inside around the program have expected him to. He's definitely performed better on the recruiting trail than anybody, any of the other three three coaches that are coming into the league. And I know there was this kind of narrative out there that he's he's never recruited at this level before by some of the national people. But but the fact is he has. He's been at South Carolina before. He's been at so many other stops, Georgia, Oklahoma, Virginia Tech. So he knows what it takes to to get it done, and he knows he knows how to do it. He's learned it from so many different people. So what have, what have your impressions been on, on Shane Beamer so far? Now, they just lost Karan Prunty to the transfer portal. He was in a battle between South Carolina and Tennessee, recruiting battle. And due to some personal issues that that he's having, certainly wish him the best on that. But and that's obviously going to affect the defensive back room, which is already kind of maligned to begin with. And now you lose him. But but what are some what are reasonable expectations uh, for South Carolina fans from your perspective uh, on Shane Beamer's first season? Yeah, I'm a little worried that I've been um, getting the Gamecocks a little too excited because I keep saying <laughs> that you know I don't think it's completely unrealistic. I know, you know, last season we don't want to talk about it, but if they go five and one, four and two out the gate, I think South Carolina fans will be very happy with that. And I think that is a realistic proposition. I mean, you got to play Georgia in the early in the season. I don't see any way that uh, South Carolina beats Georgia, but heck, maybe you, maybe that's the where we really get the Beamer ball, you know, and we get the trick plays and we get special teams uh, shenanigans. Who I don't know and. You know, I, I'm not someone that likes to pile on Kirby Smart. I do like to make the Mark Rick jokes, of course, but he really is a good coach. But at the same time, he's been known to drop a game he shouldn't drop. So who knows? I mean, maybe it's one of those. But uh, I think there's an opportunity for South Carolina to go 4-2, and 5-1, and one, like I said, coming out the gate. But the back half, I don't know if there's there's a win there. So, tough, you know, I'm, tough, Matt. I'm, I'm trying to play it both ways, you know, where you can get really excited real quick and then I'll continue the momentum, but uh, just savor every win because there may not be many on the back end. And that's uh, more of an indictment on, on the depth of South Carolina than anything else. I mean, they'll get there. They'll have the depth. They just don't have it at this point. But one thing that uh, I really made a point on recently on my show is just the fact that, you know, we really need to consider that there's very little film on Marcus Satterfield, what he's going to do, 
I mean, I don't think anyone really has any idea what him and Beamer are cooking up on the offensive side of the ball. I know they say Joe Brady offense, Lincoln Riley offense, but what does that really mean when you mesh them together with South Carolina's talent? So uh, that could be a very big advantage for South Carolina as well coming out the gate. Uh, I know there's film on Clayton White's defense, but not obviously with what the Gamecocks personnel. So even a little bit of an advantage there. So uh, I'm seeing a lot to like with the Gamecocks early in the season. But a lot of that hinders on, again, we go back to Lincoln Riley offense, Joe Brady offense. They got a lot of good receivers and quarterbacks to work with. And I'm not saying South Carolina doesn't, but it remains to be seen. So uh, those players like Luke Doty, they need to step up immediately. And if they're not capable right out the gate, the South Carolina is going to struggle. So it's very hard to predict what South Carolina is going to do right out the gate just because uh, – it's just a complete unknown. But again, if those players come together, I know they may have the best running back group in the country. They've got uh, plenty of uh, experience and talent on that offensive line. So you got to assume they're going to lean on that running game. Uh, if they can get that rolling early, it could be a, a very good month, month and a half of the season right out the gate for the Gamecocks. That's definitely true. And you mentioned nobody really knows uh, what Marcus Satterfield is going to do on offense. I know one of the one of the people that they cover South Carolina very closely asked him a couple weeks ago if a if a fan were to go on YouTube and kind of get a get a look of of what that offense is going to look like. I know you mentioned Joe Brady, you mentioned what Lincoln Riley did at Oklahoma. He mentioned with what he did with PJ Walker when he was at at Temple and a couple other different places. But but the first two games, it kind of leads you to believe maybe they can be a little bit more vanilla offensively play in eastern Illinois and East Carolina. If you line up, play smash mouth football with with Harris and Lloyd and, the, and that big old offensive line up front, you have the potential to, to kind of surprise Georgia in week three with what you're doing uh, offensively. And and Kirby Smart, not obviously not predicting the Gamecocks are going to win that game, but but they obviously did beat Georgia in 2019. But but you definitely have the potential to be able to, to be able for Georgia not to really see you much uh, on film and what you're doing offensively given the first two opponents that you're playing. Yeah, and I would disagree just a little bit, though, with you for that East Carolina game. I wouldn't go vanilla with that one. I mean, they <laughs> – believe me, I'm a Tennessee grad. I, I saw Jeremy Pruitt and company come out uh, that way against – who was it? Georgia Southern, and they got uh, spanked at home. And, I mean, you do not want that on you, brother. So uh, all the goodwill Shane Beamer has built up, and he deserves all the goodwill he's gotten. Uh, that's going to get lost in a hurry if you lose to East Carolina and, and treat that like a preseason game and come out to vanilla. So uh, I see what you're saying, and, hey, maybe that is the case. But uh, I, don't, I wouldn't say there's pressure on them to win that game, but there, there's pressure on them not to lose it. So, uh, yeah, I don't think you want to play too vanilla for East Carolina, trust me. No, def definitely not. East Carolina does have 20 returning starters and going going to East Carolina. Mike Houston is going to be able to build up uh, some momentum there. But kind of transitioning from, from South Carolina, I did want to hit on kind of your, your SEC East and West predictions before we get into to some of the crunch time players for the season. So kind of starting off in the West, and how, how do you see the West playing out? Obviously, Alabama don't really want to pick against – uh, Nick Saban, I know you're you've I think you've actually got LSU winning the West. Am I correct on that? Yeah, I like the Tigers, man. They bring back uh, second most uh, returning experience all across the SEC. I think Max Johnson, 
quarterback is going to be the breakout player here in the entire conference. Uh, so I really like LSU. They get Texas A&M at home. Last time they played Alabama, Bryant Denny, they came away with a win. Uh, no, certainly I know, you know, this is not the same 2019 LSU or anything like that, but uh, I think that just speaks to the fact that Coach O and Ed Orgeron and his program, they're not afraid of Alabama. And when the schedules come out every year, we all look at, you know, where you got to play Alabama. Oh, you got to play a Brian Denny. That's an automatic loss. I don't, I don't buy into that logic. And I think Alabama, Texas A&M, they're going to be right there. They're going to be very competitive. It's not like I think LSU is far and away the best team in the SEC or anything like that. But uh, I see it as a three-team race. And I just like a little bit of the edge to the LSU Tigers this year. Uh, I think Alabama takes a, a slight step back on that offensive side. I think their defense is a little overhyped. And I really like A&M, but I've got some questions there, some key questions with the Aggies that until uh, I see them get answered, uh, I, I've got them behind LSU and Alabama. So the, the questions for, for A&M to me, to me are the, the fact that their you know, receivers have been a little – have been having trouble staying healthy a little bit the past couple of years. So they're kind of kind of unproven in the room, but LSU seems like a team with Coach O now. They seem to relish the the underdog factor. Coach O seems to do very well when he's kind of on the outside looking in nationally going into the season. So definitely I think LSU is definitely due for a really bounce back year, it seems. Yeah, Coach O, uh, he's the man when his back's against the wall. You know what? And – Last season, I know, was a disaster, but it was just like the perfect storm, man. They had just won the title. I think they were feeling themselves a little too much. And we had, uh, you know, I think he, I don't want to say lost the locker room because last two games of the season were their two best games. I mean, they went on the road and beat Florida. They beat Ole Miss. They were the, the only team to beat Ole Miss the final, I think, two months of the season. So he certainly didn't lose the locker room, but uh, I think they – he lost some respect uh, heading into the season. Remember, Jamar Chase, he was one of the most vocal, we want to play guys, and then right before the season, he opted out. And then uh, they had Terrence Marshall, who was outstanding for most of the season. And then he had a players-only meeting, and you know he said, we got to stick together. And then a week later, he opted out. Then they got Arie Gilbert. I mean, maybe the best tight end prospect ever. He opts out. So, I mean, there was just so many troubling signs there in LSU. But again, after all those losses, it would have been so, so easy for them to say, to hell with this year. We got to play Florida. They're number four in the country. We got to go to the swamp. We got no chance. Lane Kiffin, Matt Corral, they're on fire. We got no chance. That's not what they did. They manned up. They said, you know, all we got is all we need. And, and they went out there and they took care of business. So if we get that LSU, that's the LSU that I'm seeing that can be an SEC West contender this season. Yeah, that's definitely true. And and kind of switching over uh, to the east, we look at Georgia. There's there were some questions around surrounding that wide receiver room after the George Pickens ACL tear. But then you end up going out and getting uh, Eric Gilbert from the transfer portal. There were some questions in the defensive back room. There were some questions about that unit. You go out and get Tyke Smith from West Virginia, Darian Kendrick from Clemson uh, in the portal to to kind of sure up a lot of that defensive back room as well but is this is this the year that that georgia finally gets it done uh, with kirby smart i know you you talked a lot about this definitely want to give you the opportunity to be able to to talk about it, it is this the year that georgia really takes the next step beats knocks off 
whoever they're playing in the SEC championship game makes it to the playoff and ultimately wins the whole thing. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, it's time for the 1980 jokes to come to an end, and I think they <laughs> finally are uh, before we get to that uh, 50th anniversary, let's hope, but uh, well, at least for Kirby's sake. But, yeah, Georgia's just loaded. I mean, on, on all accounts, both sides of the ball. And, uh, you know, I keep cautioning people. You know, I see it, JT Daniels, Heisman hype and all that. I'm not going quite that far. I'm not sitting here saying that JT Daniels is the is the best quarterback in the nation, but I think he's got all the tools to be the trigger man that Georgia needs that when in key games against potentially Alabama or LSU and, of course, against Florida, against Clemson, uh, they need someone that can push the ball down the field, stand firm in that pocket. They've not had that uh, here in recent seasons. I think he's that guy. And, uh, man, that defense, they took a step back last year. I know the secondary is being rebuilt, but the front seven is incredible. And I keep telling people, uh, you know, Zamir White, James Cook, they're get, they're both getting all SEC consideration. I think Zamir White, I think somebody even had him as an All-American. Yet Kendall Milton, the third string running back, I think is going to have a bigger season than both of them. And that's no, uh, you know, disrespect to those guys. I mean, I just had Rusty Manziel on my show. He said, James Cook, when he gets to the NFL, is going to be the next Alvin Kamara. So, this is the level of talent we're talking about in Georgia. And they just, again, we, I talked about Arik Gilbert leaving LSU, of course. Now he's at Georgia. And they got Darnell Washington, another monster. I mean, Darnell Washington's like six foot seven, 238 pounds. I mean, how are you going to block all these guys? I have no idea, but uh, that's going to be on the rest of the SEC to try to figure it out. And uh, even like I said, Kirby may blow a game, but. <laughs> he's got too much talent to blow two of them, brother. So uh, I like Georgia far and away in the East. I like him in the SEC, and I think they're going to win the national championship. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm honestly kind of, kind of leaning that way myself. I hadn't, hadn't made, hadn't sat down and made my picks yet, but, but, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of with you. I really do think that that this is is going to be uh, Georgia's year, and I, I think this could be a year where another year where the SEC gets two teams in the college football playoff. Yeah, it certainly could happen. I mean, we, uh, we got to find a way to get Alabama in there, even if they don't win their division. So, yeah, I'm right there with it. We could we could certainly see – wouldn't that be uh, Kirby's luck if he had to face Nick Saban in the national championship once again after winning the SEC and, and avoiding Bama in, the, in Atlanta? I mean, that would be just priceless. <laughs> yeah, Alabama's sitting there with, with one loss if, if – you know, if you have a three-way tiebreaker, maybe uh, in the West, LSU mm -hmm. gets to gets to play in Atlanta. You still got Alabama sitting there, and and even though they may beat Georgia, even though Georgia may beat LSU in the SEC championship game, Nick Saban's going going to have his say, and I think Alabama's still going to sneak into the playoffs somehow. I mean, it's amazing that they do it, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> I'm so tired of Alabama just owning the rest of the country you know i was gonna say sec but they own the country let's be honest <laughs> that's, that's definitely true and i, I did want to ask you about uh, two teams that are kind of on the rise uh, in the east when you look at missouri you look at kentucky what are you expecting from 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 coach Drinkwitz in his second year didn't have a spring practice last year didn't really have a summer either due to due to covid but but they went five and five in an all sec schedule last year definitely connor Bazerlack's going to step up one of the only returning quarterbacks in the sec uh, this season and then kentucky they've got a new offensive coordinator and liam cohen 
Will Levis, I think it's going to be the quarterback for them, going to push the ball maybe downfield a little bit more, but also rely on on Chris Rodriguez. How big of a step can can those two programs uh, take this year, especially Missouri after that five and five season last year and this year having a spring practice, having a summer for Coach Drinkwitz and his staff to be able to, to continue to develop that team? Yeah, it's been interesting because most people are jumping on the Missouri bandwagon, and uh, I'm not quite there. I, I favor Kentucky. I even have Tennessee over Missouri in the East right now. But there's a lot to like about what Eli Drinkwitz is doing. Make no mistake, I think uh, that program's on the rise. They're really taking advantage of the uh, in-state crop of talent. And I believe they have a top 20 recruiting class at this moment, which is basically unheard of at Missouri at this point of the season. And there's uh, several five stars that they're still in on. So they may have an, an outstanding class. So they've got a lot to gain. If they can do that on the field this year, that's certainly going to help uh, carry over the momentum there. Uh, and they bring it in a new defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes, who's been in the NFL for 20 some odd years. So he's, he's multi-time uh, defensive coordinator in the NFL, one-time head coach with the Arizona Cardinals. So He's got an incredible wealth of knowledge. So I could be off on Missouri, certainly. Uh, one thing that I find interesting about Steve Wilkes, he's emphasizing the turnovers uh, that there's going to be uh, the Missouri defense is going to be forcing this year. And, you know, it's very easy to say that. You know, every coach is going to say that. Well, yeah, we're going to emphasize turnovers. Well, his units in the NFL often led the league in turnovers. So if he knows how to force them in the NFL, I got a lot of faith that he can do that. Uh, in, at college football level, but I'm not huge on this uh, Connor Basilak. And, uh, you know, I just try to give you my honest opinion when people ask about him. And I'm not saying he's bad, but, you know, you see these lists and, and people have him as like a top three or top five quarterback in the SEC. I think what they're looking at is his completion percentage, and which was very high. It was above 70 last year, but it's kind of easy to, to have a completion percentage that high when your coach is not asking you to do a lot. And he had a very – I think he had seven touchdowns, six interceptions, something like that. And uh, Eli Drinkwitz is on record. You know, they didn't trust him to throw in the red zone. And, you know, that's a red flag to me. Now, certainly uh, last year was his first year starting, so he'll get better. I'm not saying he won't improve, but I just don't have him as one of the top five quarterbacks there. Uh, he'll, he'll need to take a step up. And, you know, I think we underestimate the value of Nick Bolton, Larry Roundtree, two of the best players in the SEC last year, not only on the field, but off the field. How does Missouri replace those guys? I mean, Nick Bolton's a guy that uh, he got thrown out of at least one game, maybe two, I can't remember, for targeting. And then, you know, most of the guys you see, they're sitting on the sideline, they get upset or, or they go over the locker room, whatever. Nick Bolton's put on a headset. He's a coach on the field. I mean, you just don't replace a guy like that who's now is apparently killing it, I believe, with the Kansas City Chiefs. So, uh, I mean, that's a huge, huge loss there for the Missouri Tigers. And then you talk about Kentucky. I like a lot of what Kentucky has to offer, but it's kind of the same question marks as we always have. Quarterback play. I think they're probably going to have the worst quarterback play in the entire SEC. And while you mentioned him, Lee and Cohen, uh, seems like an upgrade. I mean, Kentucky's going to be the first program in the SEC that's running this Sean McVay offense that has taken the NFL by storm. And if he can translate that to the SEC, if he can get, whether it's Will Levis, the quarterback transfer from Penn State, or Joey Gatewood, if he can make them a serviceable quarterback, Kentucky's going to be an outstanding team. But it's similar to what I was saying about South Carolina. I mean, 
everybody thinks the new coordinator is going to be a genius. He's going to fix everything. And I'm not saying that's not the case, but until we see it, it's hard for me to really project that. So I love Chris Rodriguez. I love the Kentucky offensive line. I think uh, that may be the strongest run game. Them in South Carolina, one, one or two, you know, you can you can debate that all day long. But I, I think Kentucky will have an outstanding running game. Uh, their defense is it's solid, and we all know Mark Stoops, Brad White. I mean, they've got some outstanding coaches there, uh, but they do have some uh, a lot of key players off to the NFL, including uh, the pass rush may be an issue for the Kentucky Wildcats, so they need to get that solved. But right now, I got Kentucky number three in the East, and uh, and, and Kentucky, or excuse me, Missouri number five. Awesome. So I did want to kind of wrap up the show with you by by giving some some crunch time players for the season. They're going to be making the crunch time plays for their respective teams this season. Just kind of going down the list, just picking you know just a couple out of the East, picking a couple out of the West. I think for for me, going to Looking at Kentucky, Chris Rodriguez is a guy that can make the crunch time plays for them. EJ Jenkins is a guy for South Carolina that I've kind of picked. He's transfer, gonna you know he's listed as a wide receiver, but he's obviously going to be on the field with with several in several ways. You can move him around, use him a lot. Picking him over Kevin Harris. Well, see, I don't see. I don't don't know if. (laughs) So that's kind of what I'm with with this this the over under on the yardages for Kevin Harris. I'm not sure how. Oh, gotcha. Go going yet. I'm not really sure how the thing the, how the the snaps are going to be divided between him and and Marshawn Lloyd. I do think in some cases we're going to see them on the field together, mm-hmm. but but it, it, I guess it just depends on if who gets hot in, in one particular game. Yeah, no, that makes sense. But yeah, that that. Those are just a couple couple guys uh, in the in the East that that I've circled along with along with Eric Gilbert from Georgia. But who are a couple players in the East that that can be crunch time players for their uh, particular team? And then we'll move over to the West. Uh, yeah, for Florida, maybe I'd go Jacob Copeland, the receiver. I mean, he they really need someone to step up there with uh, all the losses they had. So I like Jacob Copeland. Uh, Tennessee, we were kind of joking. Can can we pick a punter, long snapper? I mean, that, those will probably be my crunch time guys for the Vols. Uh, who else we got here? Missouri. Uh, Elijah Young, the running back. You know, he's going to be having to step up. He's going to be one of these guys that's uh, replacing uh, Larry Roundtree. So I, I'm eager to see if he can step up. Uh, Kentucky, you, you mentioned Chris Rodriguez. Until the bowl game last year, he did not have a single rush attempt for a negative yard. That's incredible. Uh, but one guy that uh, I would circle on that Kentucky offense that I really like, Josh Ali, the receiver. Um, and maybe for Georgia, you know, I, I pumped up Kendall Milton. But if you want to talk crunch time, uh, I would probably go Zamir White. I mean, I don't know if you're stopping him on a short yardage situation. So those are some of the guys in the East that stand out to me. Yeah, that's definitely true. And and moving over to the West, who who are a couple of guys you like there? And for me, if I go to Arkansas, I like Trelon Burks. If I go to if I go to Ole Miss, if I had to pick a quarterback, it would be Matt Corral. But I'm very interested, Mike, to see how they're going to use John Rice Plumney in his situations this year. I know in the bowl game, they used him a lot in the slot. I think losing Elijah Moore, losing some of those guys on the offensive side of the ball, Kenny Yaboa that they lost last year. Very mm-hmm. interested to see how they're going to use John Rice Plumley in that offense this coming year. Yeah, and they've come out and said that uh, you know he 
not saying that his future at quarterback is over, but during camp, he's just exclusively practicing with the receivers. And the point of that, uh, Lane Kiffin and offensive coordinator Jeff Lubby have pointed out the fact that, you know, he's never played receiver before until he got to Ole Miss. So uh, can you really excel at that position in the at the SEC level if you're not repping it every single day? The answer is no. So, uh, you know, they're, they're giving John Rice Plumley every opportunity to make an impact in the slot and they need someone to step up. So who knows? Maybe he's the next Elijah Moore. Uh, but uh, don't forget about Jerion Ely down there. I mean, my goodness, they've got a lot of weapons at Ole Miss. So, sure does. Uh, yeah, they're going to be fun to watch uh, for Mississippi State. Uh, I don't know how many people really paid attention to, to what the Bulldogs did last year, but uh, Jaden Wally, he's going to be yep. one of the best receivers in the SEC. Don't forget about him. Uh, Texas A&M, again, they got a lot of weapons. Uh, Wattemeyer, the tight end. Um, but the guy that I really like on the Aggies is Anaya Smith, who lines up at receiver. He lines up at running back. Uh, he lines up all over the field. So uh, those are a couple. And – Alabama, I'm curious to see how John Menchie, uh, you know, now that he's going to be the number one, I always question these Alabama guys. Can they step like last year? I was an idiot saying, I don't know, Devonta Smith, you know, he's been number three, number four his whole career. I don't buy him as a number one. And now I look like a damn fool because he just won the Heisman and he's one of the best receivers of all time. So I'm not going to make that mistake with John Menchie. I think uh, I think he'll stand out. And uh, don't forget all the hype with uh, Auburn, Tank Bigsby, who I, I know South Carolina fans seem to hate him just because people pick him over uh, Kevin Harris. But uh, <laughs> uh, Tank Bigsby is, is one hell of a player. But I do, I will, I would say that uh, these people that that say Tank Bigsby is better, he's only played like five games where he where he's been healthy. So I don't know how in the hell everybody thinks that he's better than Kevin Harris just in the four games they've seen him play. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I think it's disrespectful to have him over Kevin Harris as well, but that doesn't mean that the, you know, that both of them are not outstanding running backs. Yeah, they're, they're definitely both uh, outstanding backs. And, and speaking of, of Karen, Kevin Harris and Tank Bigsby, I did want to get into the, to the prize picks over-unders with you. We're going to be making those throughout of the season on, on some different guys uh, during the week, but some of the futures that they've got up right now for people to, to go put down their fantasy props on a couple of the running backs that I wanted to kind of hit on with you. Kevin Harris, is he over or under 1150 yards this year? Man, that's tough. Your fans are going to hate this, but I'll say under. And the, the main reason I'm saying that is because they got Marshawn Lloyd and they've got, you know, and now he's had this back procedure. And I know they're saying it's no big deal, and I hope it's not. But now you're talking about an injury going into into the camp. And uh, so, I, you know, if you could guarantee me that he's going to play in every game, I'd go over. But at this point, uh, I would go under on that one. Yeah, I, I would too. And just for those two reasons that you mentioned, I'm cu very curious to see what they're going to do with him the first couple games of the season if they're if they're really cautious with him and and how does he split the carries with Marshawn Lloyd I definitely go under on that as well and Tank Bigsby is over or under 900 way over right because I think uh, based on what we saw last year with South Carolina's uh, offense under Mike Bobo I mean and you know I'm not one of these people that uh, that bashes Bo Nix I mean that's such a cheap thing to do yet everybody does it but uh, I think he's you know I think he is uh I don't want to say average. I think he's better than average, but I, I don't think he's horrible. But still, they're going to rely on, uh, you know, at Auburn this year, they don't have, well, they have receivers, but they're they're all inexperienced. So 
a roundabout way. I'm just trying to say they're going to lean heavily on the run game and Tank Bigsby. If he again, he's another one that's kind of tricky because he got so banged up last year. But if if he can guarantee that he's going to be healthy, uh, yeah, he's going to be way over that number. Yeah, definitely. What Mike Bobo did at South Carolina last year with that run game is all the offenses are very similar uh, in terms of personnel right now. So definitely go over on that. Zamir White, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on this. You mentioned Kendall Milton. We've got James Cook in the mix as well. Is over under 800 for Zamir White? I'd go, I'd probably go, oh, man, that's tough. I'll probably go over because, I, like I said, I think. Now, do you get is that just regular season though, or what? I, I'm assuming I'm assuming it's just I'm, I want to say it's just regular season. Okay, I'll go under then because I was about to say they're going to play in the SEC championship. They're going to play in multiple bowl games with the playoff. I think so. Uh, taking those into consideration, I would go over. But yeah, just uh, you know, that's that's what Kirby Smart's got to deal with these days is uh, you know soothing ego so to speak so uh you know that's why georgia gets all these five stars because he's they're getting guys that are bought into uh you know we're not going to have derrick henry on this offense we're not going to have a guy that we hand the ball 350 times to we're going to have three guys that we hand it to 120 times and i assume they're fine with that so uh yeah i think all those guys will will hover around seven to nine hundred yards this year Definitely. And kind of moving over to the to the wide receivers, then we kind of want to hit on a receiving touchdowns uh, stats with you for a couple guys. Over-unders, what you think about these? Trelon Burks from Arkansas, he's at over-under eight receiving touchdowns right now during the season. Way over. I think he's maybe the best receiver in the SEC. Definitely. Definitely think he he's – I would put him as the number one uh, receiver in the SEC as well. He's going to be a tremendous red zone uh, target for KJ – for Jefferson, so yeah, I definitely say over eight as well. And then, and then Jacob Copeland, you mentioned him earlier. I had him written down as well uh, as a crunch time player for Florida. Over under three receiving touchdowns this season. Oh, way over that. He'll he'll have that uh, the first week. No, I mean he may not have that many, but he'll have three for sure. He'll have over four this year for sure. Yep, no no doubt about that. Definitely. So you know if you're if you go on Prize Picks. Mike, courtesy of, of Mike Bratton, you just made you just made some money with these picks. So if, if you like free money, <laughs> go ahead and uh, go ahead and, and go ahead and sign up on PrizePicks.com. Use that code CrunchTimePlays, get you a free match up to a hundred dollars, and and go ahead and place your your props on those guys. So I guarantee you, all this is going to be free money, free money, courtesy of uh, what we've been talking about here today. Absolutely, and if I'm wrong, uh, don't come at me. Come at the uh, app Plays Crunch. <laughs> hey we'll we'll take the we'll take the blame mike for you know we're we're in this together right now so we'll definitely uh we'll, we won't place any of the blame on you for uh for for any any hate mail or anything that we're getting for these picks awesome <laughs> <laughs> well mike, i really appreciate you taking time today brother i know you've you're you're building your brand getting ready for the season but but tell everybody again where they can find you on social media where they can find that sec podcast you do an incredible job definitely would love to get you back on again uh during the season as well and i uh, really appreciate you taking time today brother yeah thanks for having me and uh you know just search sec mike well anywhere really on the internet i'll be the first one to pop up and uh the show's that sec podcast 
We're on uh, every podcast platform. We're on YouTube now, so we're trying to grow all those. And if you give us a five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app, we even send you a beer koozie free of charge. we got all 14 SEC teams represented. So reach out to us. Let us know if you gave us a review, who you support. We'll send you that beer koozie. And I just realized Texas and Oklahoma coming. I got to order some some new koozies. You know what? <laughs> hey, especially if they uh, if they enter next year, like a lot of people think they are. You better go ahead and get those things ordered, brother. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, really enjoyed it. We'll talk to you soon, brother. All right. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And thanks so much to Mike for coming on today. I appreciate all you listening to Crunch Time Plays today, watching and listening. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube. Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For SEC Mike Bratton, this is Bennett Ganey from Crunch Time Plays. We're making the Crunch Time Plays, and we'll look forward to having you join us during the season for all these Crunch Time Plays over on Prize Picks. God bless everybody. <laughs>